Well, it's good to be with you once again, and uh, it's also good to be able to bring to you this morning the greetings of the um, elders and the members of the Grace Baptist Church in Broadstairs. Uh, we often pray for the church here, and there's a lot of um, communication between the two churches, and so it's a joy to be able to uh, be with you here this morning and to bring God's word to you. Um, it was earlier this year that I uh, was given the opportunity to preach to you, and on that occasion I preached to you from Isaiah chapter 6 and verses 1 through to 7 about the very majestic call that came, or the vision at least, that came to Isaiah the prophet when he was in the temple on one occasion. But I also feel that it is very necessary for us today to look a little further in that remarkable chapter 6 and to consider from verse 8 onwards uh, something of the uh, call of Isaiah to be the servant of God, a prophet, and so on. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, Isaiah chapter 6 from verse 8 onwards. Now, before we proceed any further, let me say to you as well that the, five first, the, the first five chapters of Isaiah focus on very much on the uncertain times in which the prophet lived. And this was largely due to the unfaithfulness towards Almighty God of the people of Judah and those who lived in Jerusalem. But also in those first five chapters, we become very much aware of the sovereign power of, of God over his people and over other nations as well as the Lord was going to work uh, in, in their lives. And chapter 6 and verses 1 through to 7 tell us of the unexpected, majestic holiness of the Lord who appeared to Isaiah and the confession of his utter unworthiness and sin which he made in that section. And then there is the description of the undeserved mercy of forgiveness that Isaiah um, experienced. And these things themselves emphasize the importance of coming to worship God in reverent expectancy. I don't know how it was with you this morning when you prepared to come to church. It wasn't that you just had to be here because perhaps your parents said, this is what we're doing today, we're coming to church as we always have, and so you tag along. Perhaps your mind has been filled with all kinds of things during the course of the week, and you're preoccupied. And even as you're here this morning, you've, you've come here, but... It's just another Sunday, just another Sunday morning. And know that we might have something of the attitude, the approach of Isaiah to come to the place of worship with expectancy. God is going to meet with me. God is going to speak to me through his word. And if we would but understand and grasp that truth, how much richer would be our Christian experience and our love for Jesus Christ? We're not here just to let an hour go by. We're here to meet with the living God. 
And may God be pleased then to dispel any thoughts that would mar that, uh, this activity of hearing his word this morning. And may we have the delight of, as the spirit works, of enlightening our minds and drawing out our souls in worship to God. Today we're going to be looking, as I've mentioned to you already from uh, Isaiah 6 from verse 8 onwards, and we're going to look at the call of Isaiah, then the commission of Isaiah, and finally the concern of Isaiah. So first of all then, let's look at the call of Isaiah as you have it in verse 8. And verse 8 reads like this, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Now you see, Isaiah saw the glory of God and received the forgiveness of his sins. Then he heard the sovereign Lord speaking to him. And in the simplest words, the Lord asks him the question, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The question expected a response from Isaiah himself, and not one of the other prophets whom God had called, not any of the other worshippers who happened to be in the temple just then. No, no, it was for Isaiah himself, and it was expected then that he would answer the God who had spoken to him, spoken these unusual words, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Now there's been a great deal of debate about who is, who is speaking to Isaiah. Again, verse 8, whom shall I send? I would understand that to be Christ, but it's also that you see there who will go for us. And uh, debate has raged about this uh, particular verse, I can assure you, but... The commentator E.J. Young makes the observation, and I quote here, we regard the Lord as using the plural form to indicate that in the speaker himself there is a plurality of persons. It is a foreshadowing of the doctrine of the Trinity which God graciously revealed in fuller measure in the New Testament times. And so it's Christ, as it was speaking here, whom shall I send? But it's with the full support, the full concurrence of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in a moment of time, Isaiah saw the Lord in majestic holiness. He recognized the necessity of the forgiveness of his sin then as a sinner saved by grace, he heard that personal request, whom shall I send and who will go for us? But I want you to notice Isaiah's response to the Lord's question. What does he say? Simple words. 
Powerful words, though. Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. Now, this is not the language of humble piety, but rather it is forceful, it's strong, and it's enthusiastic. Isaiah is saying, Lord, look at me. I want to go. Here I am. You send me. No one else. I'm the one who wants to serve you. You've done so much for me in saving mercy. I have to serve you. I want to serve you. Look at me. Here I am. Now, on occasion, I have asked my younger grandchildren uh, a question, and it has been, uh, who wants to go and get some Krispy Kreme donuts? Well, the laughter tells you that uh, um, they certainly are familiar with that. Well, who wants a Krispy Kreme donut? Who wants to go and get some? The response is often most enthusiastic. Me, me, I want one. I want to go. You see, there's a kind of enthusiasm. I want to have a donut. Now, in a feeble sense, that's something of Isaiah's response. Lord, I want to go. I want to serve you. I want to please you by serving you. Behold, here am I. You send me. And that is the strongest, one of the strongest tenses in the Hebrew language. Send me. Not someone else. Not someone more eloquent. Not someone more educated. Me. And it was an immediate and a determined response. An immediate and determined response. Now, the call to repent and believe on Jesus Christ is the heart of the gospel message. But it is a call that demands wholehearted and an immediate response. It's not something that you hear and you say, well, I'm going to give this a little bit of thought. And the weeks go by and the months and the years go by and you don't bother to do anything about that message that Jesus Christ suffered and died for your sins and rose again from the dead. Good news. And you might even say, yes, it is good news. But you've heard the gospel and your heart has been stony and silent and you don't want to respond. I cannot impress upon you more urgently this morning that when you hear the gospel message, when you hear the preaching of Christ crucified to deal with your sins and to give you peace with God, it's not something that you put off for tomorrow or next year. It's now. It's today. It's that important. And you see something of this in Isaiah's response to the call of God to serve him. Now. He doesn't wait. He doesn't say, Lord, I'm going to go and pray about this. Lord, here am I. Send me. As I was contemplating these, this these, these verses in Isaiah 6, I remember the night when the Lord opened my heart to 
my need of the Saviour. It was an awful long time ago, May 1961. I heard the gospel that night preached faithfully and it was a message to me to repent and to believe in Jesus. But what struck me was that as the Lord that night spoke to me about my sin and need of Christ, he also gave the grace to immediately come to Jesus Christ. That was mercy to me. And I'm ever so grateful to the Lord that he did that. There were not months and years that passed by, but the Lord took me that night to be his child. And that's something that I would encourage you who've often heard the gospel, don't become jaded to the gospel message. Oh, when God has dealings with you and with your heart, please respond at once. There's no reason why you cannot pray to God and ask him, Lord, soften my heart. Lord, make me tender. Make me responsive even as Isaiah was. Is that not the kind of prayer that God would hear from your lips, from your hearts? And so Isaiah sets before us a very high example to respond immediately to the call of the gospel. Now, <clears throat> the call to service in Christian ministry or missions is a very high calling from the Lord. And the Christian man may sense that God is dealing with him. God speaks to him through the word. He perhaps just looks around and sees how people seem to be indifferent to church, to the Bible, to the gospel message. And the Lord starts to deal with that man who is a Christian, urging him to perhaps serve the Lord in some capacity or other. And that's very commendable that any man should feel like that. Very commendable indeed. But that's just the one side of the story. What we also need to bear in mind, which is equally important, is that the church in which that man is a member needs to see those gifts and graces in that man. So it's not him simply saying, I want to serve the Lord, I want to become a pastor, but that the church looks on and says, we see that there is some potential there, we see that there are some gifts. And what does the church do? Its elders and its members would so work then to encourage and to develop that man in his gifts, you see. And when those two things come together, that sense of call and the church confirming it, well, I think that is a recipe for God's blessing to that man and to the church for that matter. Now, in connection with that, thinking about Isaiah who said, Jeremiah sent me, what's your response when perhaps your pastor or one of the deacons would ask you, won't you do this, whatever it is, in the church? What is your response if your pastor says to you, will you not lead the prayer meeting or lead the church service, not preach? What's your response? 
And perhaps out of fear you might shrink away and say, no, no, I can't do that. And, and you say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not, I'm not um, up to that. I can't do it. You know, you may find such a challenge daunting in itself. But look at Isaiah. Here am I, send me, he says. And what should your response be? What should my response be in the church of which I am a member? Yes, if you want me to do this, I'll do it. God helping me, I'll do it. That's the kind of response you see of Isaiah. And that's what brings the light to those who are in leadership in the church. Not someone you've got to really press them into doing anything, and then they still do it reluctantly. But oh, the wholeheartedness of saying, yes, I want to serve the Lord in the church and to do whatever particular task it is. There are many things in the church that members can willingly do. And it's not right that the elder or de- and, the, and the deacons have to do everything in the church. But on the other hand, it is discouraging when someone is asked to do something and there is unwillingness and there is even refusal to commit themselves to the task. And here Isaiah showed <coughs> readiness of true faith. Here am I, send me. His willingness came before he even knew what God wanted him to do. God spoke, the Lord spoke. Isaiah didn't have a clue exactly what that calling was. But send me, send me. And may God give you that ready willingness to serve him at every opportunity, both here in the church and outside the church, as he gives opportunity to you. We do well to remember Saul of Tarsus as well, and what a good example he is. Acts chapter 9, Paul is Saul at least going to Damascus, and there he has that amazing vision of Jesus Christ, He saw the glory of the Lord Jesus and heard his stern rebuke and he recognises who it is. It's the Lord Jesus. It's the voice of Jesus Christ and he sees him in his radiant glory and this is what Jesus says to him. Familiar words to many of us. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Do you not see the point there? In a moment, this unbelieving, hostile man The enemy of Christ is changed by grace divine in an instant by the power and the grace of God. And equally so, as he is there in the dust on his knees before the risen Christ, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What a picture. Does the Lord Jesus leave him in any doubt? Go into the city. And someone will come to you and will heal your your eyes so that you and, and tell you what to do. 
That's mercy. But that, that, that's Paul's response, you see. And that must be our response as well in the service of Jesus Christ. May God give us grace to have that kind of response like Isaiah, like Saul of Tarsus. But then secondly, we do look at the commission of Isaiah, the commission of Isaiah. We find this, of course, in verses 9 and 10. And he, the Lord, says, Go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, if they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand <clears throat> with their heart and return and be healed. The Lord speaks, and it's a word of command. This is what Isaiah has to do. So he was commanded then to go to the people of God with the message. What a message. Hear indeed, but don't understand. See indeed, but don't perceive or learn. And that's, I'm just interpreting that literally. You know, hear, but don't understand. Uh, See, but don't grasp. Hear and see are extremely strong words in the Hebrew. Very strong indeed. And so the people then, under Isaiah's ministry, would continually see with their eyes the things that Isaiah set before them. They would hear with their ears continually, and yet there would be a hardness and a reluctance to learn and to see the truth. That is what the Lord is telling to him. That's the Lord's commission given to Isaiah. And Isaiah's commission then was to proclaim God's word to a people with the sad reality that few, few would repent and return to God. Few would be obedient. Now, shortly before Moses died, um, he gathered Israel together and spoke with them. And in Deuteronomy 29 and verses 2, 3, and 4, Moses is speaking to the people, and it's a, something of a rebuke to them. And this is what he says You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and the wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. Forty years had passed and they had seen God working in power. They had heard the commands of God through Moses. And can you believe it? There was entrenched unbelief even years later. That is a stinging divine rebuke that came from Moses. 
to sit under the sound of God's word, to see God at work in power, and to have the hardest and stoniest heart that you can imagine, saying simply to God, so what? I'll do what I want to do. Doing lip service to God, yet not doing, not obeying God in, uh, truthfully from the heart. Now, there's something of Isaiah's commission, very hard commission indeed. Isaiah's task gets even worse because his messages from God to the people would have three duties. And the first of those three duties is that Isaiah was commanded to make their hearts dull. To make their hearts dull. And that in the Hebrew means to make their hearts fat. Here would be people well taught in the word of God. And yet no obedience. Oh, we know that. We know this. You can cross your T's, dot your I's doctrinally, biblically. But it didn't touch the heart. That's the tragedy of it. Self-satisfied people who could say, we know the word of God. What need do we have of a prophet? Their hearts had been made dull. They had made their hearts dull. The second thing, Isaiah was commanded to make their ears heavy. And that simply means unreceptive to biblical truth. The third thing is this, that Isaiah was commanded to blind or place a veil over their eyes so that they could not see and respond. Now you might think to yourself, well, this Isaiah, he must be some kind of, of pathetic preacher, surely, that he can preach and preach his heart out and yet people are unresponsive? Was he, such, was, he, was he that kind of dull preacher? Was he like that? Look at Isaiah 55 and you will see there the preacher's heart and it's zealous. And you know some of these words. Look at how Isaiah puts it there. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without price, and without, without money and without price, and so on. Look at verse 6. There's the preacher's heart. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah was a preacher, a powerful preacher, anointed by the Spirit of God. Of that there is simply no doubt. And the very people he ministered to shrugged their shoulders, many of them, indifferent, didn't, couldn't care less. So we ask the question, where did the fault lie? Where did the fault lie? Was it with the prophet? No. It was with God's people. It was with the people of God. That's the Jewish people of that time. If I may put it to you a little differently, they were suffering from heart disease. Not literal heart disease, but spiritual heart disease. They were far from God. Now the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ sheds some light upon this. 
Uh, for example, in Luke chapter 8 and verses 9 and 10, <clears throat> we're told this, that his disciples and asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Let's just take that a little further. Who are the people who came to Jesus? The common folk who heard him gladly, who said no man ever spoke like this man. Those who came to hear Jesus were the Pharisees, the scribes, those who wrote out the word of God from the Old Testament, the lawyers who taught the scriptures, the Sadducees who were priests who served in the temple. And there were others also when Jesus was ministering to the crowds, when he was preaching the good news with such clarity, here were men who stood by and they refused to believe what they heard and what they saw. And after all of that, they still said, show us a sign, then we will believe. Do you remember the audacity of it all on the cross when they said, come down from the cross now and we will believe? What's all that about? Seeing and hearing but not perceiving and not doing anything about it. Their hearts were as hard as stone. They refused to believe. But on the positive side, we have but to look at Acts chapter 16 and verse 4. Paul and Silas are in the city of Philippi and they went down to the riverside on the Lord's Day to where some would meet to pray and Paul and Silas did what they preached. They spoke the good news to the people who were there. And this is what Acts 16 verse 14 says. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. Isaiah proclaimed God's word, but God alone opens hearts to believe. And if you hear this morning and you say, my heart is just like that hard, it's no better than the Pharisees. And dear friends, you can pray to a God who delights in mercy and say, Lord, soften my heart. Please take away the unbelief. Strip it away. Help me to understand. Open my biased mind. Take away my indifference. Please will you help me. Please will you Make me to understand and bring me to yourself. And here we have the Maiden Bower Church. Well, we just preach the word of God here, don't we? Yes, of course you do. And thank God for that, faithfully proclaimed. But is there a Sunday that goes by 
and you do not hear the claims of Jesus Christ, you do not hear the gospel preached, you hear it often, and you hear it preached because your elder and those who occupy this pulpit want you to understand the importance of repenting of your sins and believing in Jesus. That's why the gospel is preached regularly, faithfully. When you hear that message, respond to it. Pray that the Lord would help you to grasp its truth and that you might not be among those of whom it's Isaiah speaks or writes saying, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. God forbid, may every one of you here this morning know Christ Jesus as, <coughs> as your saviour. But then in the third, thirdly, we're going to be looking at the concern of Isaiah as we have that in verses 11 through to 13, the concern of Isaiah. Look how it's recorded in verse 11. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitants. The houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and so on and so on. Isaiah asked the burning question, Lord, how long? It was a sensible question to ask in view of the unresponsiveness over some 40 years of his ministry to the word of God by the people of God in Judea and in Jerusalem. How amazing that this man, Isaiah, despite the unresponsiveness of the people, would continue to serve God, continue to serve an unresponsive people largely for 39 years. That's perseverance. The Lord's response to Isaiah, though, is quite breathtaking. He was to serve the Lord faithfully until cities were in ruins, homes were empty, because the inhabitants had been taken away into captivity. And though the scale of destruction had only applied to the northern kingdom of Israel at this particular point, the Lord was using it as a picture to assure Isaiah that he was to serve the Lord faithfully and the people to whom he was sent until they were taken into captivity. He was to be faithful until the end. He was not to give up. He was to keep on, keep on, keep on preaching the message, keep on being faithful to God and to the people whom he was serving. He was to be faithful. So... There's the prophet's great concern, Lord, how long? I don't know if I can handle this, but that's another way of putting it. And the Lord says, you keep on. And he did for those 39 years. Is this not something of what the Lord requires of each member of this church? To be faithful to Christ and to persevere. Some in the church have opportunities to serve the Lord. 
That's, that's a privilege, that's a blessing. But realistically, with those opportunities also come discouragements. Sometimes there is the criticism that comes. Sometimes insults. Sometimes blatant indifference. That's how it is. And whether it's the elder, the deacons, you as members who want to serve the Lord, as you do so, you will encounter these very things. That's just how it is. That's what Isaiah faced. This church is no different. There will be discouragements, that is for sure. So does that mean then, huh, it's too much, it's too hard, people are too indifferent. Let's just give up, let's close the doors of the church, let's sell the place. No, 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 we don't do that. We don't give up. We keep on, we keep on, keep on preaching, we press on. And what better verse can we look at in the New Testament than 1 Corinthians 15:58? Because it assures us that our labor in the Lord is not, is not in vain. Now notice too, as we would move on, at the hope of verse 13. What's verse 13 speaking about? Here's God's mercy. Yet a tenth will be in it, that's the land, that's desolate, and will return and be for consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down, so that the holy seed shall be its stump. In all that was going to happen, God is saying there's hope. There is hope. In the situation of destruction, the Lord would preserve a remnant of his people. It seems to me that the Lord was assuring the prophet that he would see some fruit for his faithful ministry over many years. Isn't that what God requires of those who serve him in the church? Faithfulness. Faithfulness in rightly declaring the word of God. Faithfulness in preaching Christ. That's the thing. That's what Isaiah did. As I reflected upon my own situation as pastor of two churches over some 30 years, uh, there have been, and there may be more, but to my knowledge there have been four people, four people whom God has been pleased to bring to, to faith in Jesus. Four people over 30 years? Was it worth the effort? Was it worthwhile? It was well worthwhile if just four people repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ and remained faithful till the end and remained faithful even now. It's worth it. You know, who are, who are we pleasing after all? Men? No, no, no. We're pleasing God. And the call is to serve God. Leave the results to him. We're not there with that kind of stick. And every time we, we speak to somebody and there's a response, we try and make a notch in the stick. It's not like that to see how many people have come to faith. It's to be faithful. That's the calling that came to our side. Keep on. Be faithful, never give up. And dear child of God, 
There are opportunities to, for you to serve the Lord in the church here. Use those opportunities and remain faithful as Isaiah did. Remain faithful as Paul the Apostle did. And we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was faithful in all his earthly ministry and the great work of the cross, utterly faithful, not swerving. And that's what we can do with the help of God the Holy Spirit. And so may the Lord encourage us to do as his servant Isaiah did, as our Saviour did as well. Amen.